Welcome back to Grafted Jewish Roots of Christianity. I'm your host, Stephanie Pavlantos. So this is week two with Devorah Kalik. She was on last week and we were talking about so many things that we just didn't get finished. We decided to do a second recording. And last week we were talking about Joseph and how his brothers didn't recognize him when he was in Egypt. He spoke Arabic and he was looking like an Egyptian and and how his brothers did not recognize him. And then she started talking about Aaron and, and Moses dressing Aaron as if Moses is taking the part for the people and dressing Aaron. And so we're going to pick up there and she's going to explain a little more. Then we're going to go forward to some other topics and how we can hasten or delay the coming of the Lord. Because let's face it, we're either pre-trib, mid-trib, or post-trib, but she's got a little bit different view on that, and it's very interesting, and she'll give us the biblical backup for that. So she's setting time apart in her day to be here, so thank you. So let's pick up where we were. Oh, you're welcome. Okay, well, thank you for inviting me back. I always appreciate um, talking to you, and of course, sharing the things that we discuss with your listeners. And so it's real honor to to be here again. Well, so um, just to kind of sum up what we talked about last time, we were talking about the importance of dressing Yeshua in his proper Jewish clothing. And when I say Yeshua, I'm talking about Jesus. Yeshua is just his Hebrew name. And that's the, I'm in Messianic Judaism. And so that's just my habit. Um, but it's not a problem to call him Jesus as long as we get back to his true identity. Right. And I should remind people that you, your husband is a Messianic yes. Jew. Yes. You have lived in yes. Israel. You study under a rabbi. Yes. This has been a part of your life for many, many years. And unlike even me, I mean, you know, the time that I have suddenly become more knowledgeable and curious about what it means to to serve Messiah according to scripture, what that all means and looks like. So this has been a part of your life for many years. And I think that's what we have to make sure we understand that you didn't just pop up and start doing right. this. And this isn't yeah. part of your family even, but has been part of your life for many, many years. So. Yes. Yeah. It's going on 16, I okay. think. And yes, it was a gradual change. Mm-hmm. So that's very important. I'm glad you brought that up. So back to um, when when Yeshua or Jesus looks like the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah that the people of Israel are expecting, when he looks like, as we talked about last week, the prophet like Moses, which is spoken of in Deuteronomy 18.15, the Jewish people will recognize him as belonging to them as being one of their own. And we were talking about this idea of redressing him and used, as you mentioned, Joseph, the story of Joseph, how he was in the the Egyptian culture and looked very Egyptian, but in his core, in his essence, he was Joseph. Well, we say Joseph, the righteous Joseph Hatzadik, the son of Jacob. Yeshua needs to be redressed. How do we do that? Well, we also talked about the story of the Kohen Gadol, the high priest, Aaron, the first one who is Aaron. And he is called later the 
um, Kohen Mashiach, the, this, the priest Messiah, because that's one of the offices, as we talked about, that is anointed with oil. It's prophet, priest, and king that are anointed <clears throat> with this special anointing oil. And this is done with Aaron by the people. The people had to recognize that he was the Messiah. Well, how did they, how did they recognize that? Well, they made special clothing for him. They made a special crown for him that says holy to the Lord. And Moses physically dressed him, but the people were all there and the people made his garments and had to accept him as their Kohen, their, their Messiah priest, if you will. And it means anointed one. And I think you said that. It means that. anointed so, one. Yes, exactly. So Messiah means yes. anointed one. So he was the anointed yes. high priest. Correct. So, but he's a picture of what we need to do with Messiah, who is going to be crowned king um, by his people. So if we do the things, redressing him means doing the things that he did. He was a Jewish prophet. He was a Jewish rabbi. He taught his followers how to do the commandments. And so, you know, when we do the things that Israel does, that the, that the Jewish people do, and we're representing him, then they will say, oh, well, wait a minute. Why are you doing Jewish things? I think I shared this. I get this question a lot. I think I shared it last week, but um, if I didn't, um, they were like, well, you're a Gentile. Why are you doing Jewish things? Why are you doing things that belong to us? Well, because my rabbi has taught me to do these things. He kept the Torah. He kept the, the appointed times of the Lord or the Jewish feast. He taught these commandments. Well, who's your rabbi? Jesus, of, or I say usually Yeshua of Nazareth. And they're like, what? And they're like, some people say, yeah, I kind of heard that, you know, people are going back to realizing he was a Jewish guy. We say a good Jewish boy, <laughs> you know, in that kind of a joking way. So this is the point. We represent the Messiah, whether we think about that or not. And if we claim to follow him, we need to do the things that he did, or at least learn them and then learn how to do them. Sadly, the system of Christianity, and now I'm talking about the system, the religious system. I'm not necessarily talking about every Christian, um, but the system has turned him into right. someone who doesn't look like a Jewish Messiah at all. and. The idea, one of the things is the idea that he started a new religion, Christianity. Well, he didn't. He, he came to teach the people how to come back to Torah, how to come back to the true biblical faith. And the church, sadly, and again, I'm talking about the system, and people don't know this. I was a Christian for 32 years before I realized any of this. So there's no condemnation here. Um, but the church has pulled him out of his Jewish context, his culture, his claims. They make claims that, and we've talked about this, that he abolished the Torah. Well, when we choose to learn 
and to come out of this system. And when we properly represent who he truly is, when we look Jewish without claiming that we're Jewish and without trying to outdo the Jewish people, there's a lot of people that try to do that. I don't think that's a good thing. When we volunteer to do these things and as Israel does them and learn to do them as Israel does them, we're actually redressing the Messiah. We're putting him back into his Jewish context and euphemistically speaking or metaphorically, we're putting him into Jewish clothing. Um, now, I should say that we shouldn't do these things out of arrogance or pride. We must stay humble and teachable. And these things, Stephanie, and my friends who are listening, these are the things that provoke the Jewish people to jealousy or zealousness. We talked about last week the um, this being the same word. It's kana. And so um, that's how mm-hmm. we make him jealous. They're not going to be jealous or zealous if we keep presenting the Christian Jesus. They're just not. They're not going to see him as their Messiah because their Messiah doesn't do those right. things. And I think you you brought up last week that a good disciple, you know, the 12 disciples that we know of in the Bible, they did what their rabbi did. They mm-hmm. followed the rabbi and he was their example. And so you could correct me if I'm wrong, but you could tell who people were following because they did what the rabbi did. So you could tell by the disciple who their rabbi was. Exactly. You are so right. And so it's the same for us. If we look like our rabbi, if we're truly following him, then we should resemble him. Exactly. And I think, and that's what the part on the the Jewish people, they're like, well, if they're truly following a Jewish rabbi, then why don't they look anything like the rabbi? We don't see a rabbi there. Mm -hmm. Right. That's right. Not only did they do what their rabbis did when they were in a a yeshiva, they called them yeshiva, uh, a a rabbinical school, if you will. Um, Well, it's become the rabbis, the Pharisees have become the rabbis. But um, they memorize their words. And how many times do our pastors tell us we need to memorize scripture? I mean, that is, I don't know about today, but that's what they used to say. You need to memorize scripture. You need to memorize what Jesus said. They quoted their rabbi. They did the things that he did. They um, followed his teachings in loving people. And this is what being following somebody means in biblical Jewish um, thinking. By the way, I want to just mention, I want to give credit where credit is due. Um, my rabbi, uh, Dr. Rabbi Itzhak Shapira, he actually has a PhD as well as being an ordained rabbi. Um, he grew up in Israel and in, attended a normative Jewish uh, yeshiva. He, he learned without knowing Yeshua was the Messiah, and that revelation came later. And so he has written a wonderful, he's written several books, but the one where this idea, that I learned this idea of dressing 
Aaron, of course, it's right in Exodus and Leviticus. I think I said Exodus 28 and Leviticus 8. It's in there in the Hebrew. But this all comes out in a book that he wrote called the Besorah. Besorah means gospel. The Besorah according to COVID-19. And the book isn't about the COVID-19 itself. It's not about the sickness, but how God has used it and is still using it to wake up Gentiles like ourselves who didn't, who didn't learn the Bible in the Jewish context. And, um, and it's also the idea that God uses calamities mm. and difficulties to wake us up, to bring us to the true reality, because God wants everybody in the kingdom. He wants homosexuals, you know, who renounce, of course, their homosexuality. And, you know, everybody, he, he wants repentance and he wants the people of the nations to turn to him. And, you know, there's actually a lot of Jews who are apostate Jews, too. He wants them back as well. The book talks about the way we turn this mess in the world around and bring the kingdom right. of God to the earth, bringing Messiah Yeshua back as our king. It's a simple concept. Once we open our minds mm -hmm. and are willing to unlearn what we've learned, but it's not easy. And I will say it's not an easy journey. Um, though it's getting easier because there are more of us. It's growing. It's growing. Yeah. And that's what I was just telling you earlier. It's like, I'm got in contact with a woman I knew many years ago and we had the nicest conversation for an hour mm -hmm. and a half just talking about how God has been teaching us and showing us who he is yes. through exactly. the Jewish roots. It's not the New Testament, but showing us who Jesus is in the Old Testament. Exactly. In you the know? in the Tanakh, we say that in the Tanakh. In the Hebrew yeah, scriptures. And that's, yeah. And, and that's beautiful. It it's is. It's been so exciting and it's, and I mean, it gets me excited. Yeah, me too. I'm extremely passionate. In fact, sometimes I just have to tone it down because it's just too much <laughs> for some people. But, and, and the Brita Hadashah, the New Testament is basically, um, Yeshua's bringing the Torah and he quoted the prophets many times too in the Psalms. It's, the teachings of him and the apostles, the disciples, that is based on Torah, bringing it into that world, um, which was already corrupted world because of Rome. And so there's nothing new in the New Testament. <laughs> we say that. Um, there is one commandment, though, that he did what we call a chidush mm -hmm. on. Chidush is based on the word chadash, which means new, but kind of really better said as renewed. And he said, love me as I have loved you. And what he was basically saying, he was thinking mm -hmm. ahead, he gave up his life. He wants us to love other people and we would be willing to pour out our life and give our life ultimately if we're mm -hmm. asked to do so. So I want to, uh, Stephanie, one thing I have to stop and say right now, this is so important for the Gentiles to understand. This whole idea of provoking the Jewish people to jealousy, to zealousness or jealousy, 
and returning to the commandments, it's a voluntary action. We Gentiles are not what Shaul wrote, Rabbi Shaul wrote, under the Torah. We are not under the Torah as the Jewish people are. Um, the, the Mosaic covenant, the Torah, is a covenant. And the Jewish people made a covenant with God. They said certain words in Hebrew, we will do and then we will learn and understand. Not only are we not under the Torah and required the way the Jewish people are, we don't have to convert to Judaism either. But let me say that as a Yirat Hashem, and that means a God-fearer, that was the name that the Gentiles were called back then as they were coming into this faith. As a God-fearer, we non-Jews may volunteer to take on as much as we are able, little by little. And this is what Acts 15 was all about. You and I were talking about this earlier. And the four things that the Jerusalem Council gave or required of the Gentiles to do to begin their journey, to begin their learning. It was just a beginning. And unfortunately, most people, as you pointed out, skip over Acts 15, verse 21, which says, which explains the reason that they only required four things for them to do in the beginning. And that is, it says there in verse 21, for from ancient generations or times, Moses is taught in every city where he is read every Sabbath in the synagogue. What does this mean? They are saying, we're giving the Gentiles these four important things to begin their journey and their learning. And they will be attending synagogues every Shabbat and they will be taught the Torah. So this, this is code, mm -hmm. if you will, for they're going to learn gradually. The Jews have to do everything. They're in covenant. They, and of course, I would say even Jews who have not maybe grown up in a Jewish home. It was secular, maybe, and maybe they kept some of the traditions. They, too, are allowed mm -hmm. to learn slowly. But mm -hmm. their goal is to teach us. The goal of the Jewish people is to teach us. They are to be, they are called to be a light to the nations and a kingdom of priests. Well, the priests were the right. ones that taught the Torah. <laughs> uh, sadly, there are not very many Messianic Jews who are doing this. Mm -hmm. My two rabbis and a few others are doing it, but they're teaching Gentiles like me how to teach Gentiles. Mm -hmm. And I'm under him. And believe me, we sign right. a covenant. If I teach anything that goes against any Jewish teaching, that's it. You know, I will be right. disciplined. But but I say that in kind of a funny way, uh, tongue in cheek. Right. Well, I think it's so interesting because I, I think I may have even said this last week, but I'm reading a book called The Ways of the Way. Yes. And the way is what they were called. Yeah. But what I found interesting is this is a, a Messianic Jewish man who has done all this historical yeah. research. 
and and looked at the writings from that time even and the things they have even found they have found artifacts of their of the way yes so so they definitely know where they have been they have found them in different areas Mm -hmm. but our culture takes somebody to we invite people to church we go come to church with us our pastor is going to teach you everything you need to know but that's not how it worked back then in the in the days after the messiah um resurrected the disciples were the missionaries but everybody who went to the congregation that were following yeshua they did the missionary work too, in the sense that they were telling their neighbors, their friends, their other family members. And then what they did is they gave them these four laws and said, if you want to follow the Messiah, here's what you need to do. Because they didn't start going to the congregation for at least three months from what this mm. man has taught. I heard that. So because of that, these were the rules that they gave them to start out right. about sexual immorality, yes. about not right. eating food offered to idols. Right. And then they said, now, after this time, they actually went to the leader of the congregation, what we might call a pastor, and said, they've been keeping these rules. Mm-hmm. They've been doing this. They So now they make a public declaration mm-hmm. of their faith in Yeshua because it was kind of like a trial period in a sense. They had three months to decide, do I want, do I want to, to do keep this? Doing yeah. This? Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. Makes, is this really what I want to do? That makes sense. Because they were, they had to examine the cost. Yeah. Right. That's, that's what ex- right. told us to exactly. do. Examine the cost. Yes. So they, they took those three months to examine yeah. the cost of what it meant yes. to follow the way yes. and Yeshua. And so, I thought yes. that was fascinating because it wasn't until then they came into the temple or the synagogue and they started learning right learning more about more. the mosaic. And you know that that's interesting. I never heard that before, but it makes sense and it follows the um the Jewish law for how uh back in the day how it was done where they renounced yes. idolatry and became first a, what we call a Noahide. Mm. A Noahide is someone that God gave seven commandments to Noah. And they were basically about renouncing idolatry, believing in one true God, the God of Israel. And it, there were kosher laws and they were, had to refrain from murder, from blood. They had to, um, uh, not agree to set up a court, courts of law. And if it was a whole, you know, mm. community, um, and I can't, you know, go into all of them right now, but, and back what they did is they brought someone would decide if a Gentile wanted to join with Israel, they would come and live in their household. They would become a servant. They would be paid. They would be treated well. And these are the laws of the Hebrew servant, if you will, the Jewish servant. And this is how it happened. They gradually, the whole idea was to attract them to this God, to this faith and the way that they did things. And they actually gave them two years Mm. to decide if they wanted to 
stay or go. And they okay. weren't they weren't punished for being set free. Mm. So um yeah, very it's I had not heard that before. So that's kind of interesting. That goes yeah. with, you know, ancient Jewish law, what we call mm-hmm. halakha. Halakha mm-hmm. comes from the word holech, which means to walk. Mm. So it's what yeah. we say that in Christianity, walking out the commandments, walking out our right. faith. It's the mm-hmm. same. It's the same idea. That's where it came from. It came from Jew- Judaism. Yeah, and that's and but these were the leaders of the church. They right. were Jewish people yeah. who followed Jesus. You know, so so it's yeah. interesting because, yeah. just like you said, the second thing is they had to renounce all evil. They had to renounce right. any work of Satan in their life. Yeah. Then yeah. they were baptized, and then they were laid on yes. with hands to be baptized yeah. in the Spirit, yeah. and. And then they yeah. took communion. I mean, this was all like what they called initiation to get to uh-huh. become yeah. a part mm. of the way uh-huh. or what we might refer to as the church. And really, <clears throat> so, you know, back then there was no such word as church. Right. I think your audience probably knows that. Um, the word, I think we talked about this the very first time I was on the word in Hebrew um that they translate, well, the word in Greek that they translated into church, which was done by King James in the 14th or 15th century, was the Hebrew words, well, it was the Greek word was ecclesia. Mm-hmm. And ecclesia was always the Greek translation of two words in Hebrew, kahal, which means congregation or assembly, and eda, which means a congregation or assembly of witnesses. Mm. But both terms were always associated with Israel. So even the, the way back then, the, the pull to separate Christians, what became Christianity from Israel, you know, it's there. It's like the church wasn't invented by God. That was invented by man. Exactly. So... But anyway, we're kind of getting off track of, I know. Sorry. Um, but in, no, it's okay. So, um, Yeshua, uh, said this whole idea of coming back to Torah and everything. He said it this way in Matthew 11, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I'm gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The yoke that Yeshua spoke of there is the yoke of Torah, which is also the yoke of the kingdom of God. And this is why I'm studying in Yeshivat Shuvu. It's a Messianic Jewish yeshiva that was founded by Rabbi Itzhak Shapira. And I'm still studying. I've graduated. I've been ordained as a Torah teacher. But I'm still studying. I'm still learning because I want to be able to give people freshness and newness. And there's still so much to learn. And um, I mean, I feel like I still know nothing <laughs> compared to what our sages and rabbis and my my rabbis know. Oh, my gosh. I learn something new every day when I talk to them. I bet. And if, if anyone's interested in that, by the way, you can go to shuvu.tv, S-H-U-V-U dot TV, um, and you can check out the curriculum. 
Um, or you can feel free to contact me directly or contact Stephanie and she'll contact me. Anyway, um, this whole thing that we're doing, Stephanie, guess what Shaul called it? Rob Shaul, he called it the fullness of the Gentiles, the fullness, or we mm. say the fullness of the nations. As every non-Jew decides to take this yoke upon himself or herself, he or she begins the walk into the fullness that we were created for. And Rabbi Shaul explained that the fullness of the Gentiles will be what provokes the Jewish people to return to their fullness. And guess Mm. what? When we're both in our fullness, and that results also in bringing Yeshua, the real Yeshua, into his fullness, because he's back in his proper context, that's what will bring the Geula or the redemption. The Geula is redemption in Hebrew, which we talk about as the second coming, the the return of our king, whatever. It's all the same thing. It's all the same. Mm-hmm. And I actually heard another rabbi say that that we can hasten the day and that we yes. that it was based on the Jews coming into the redemption, coming into the salvation of Yeshua that determined yeah. when he returned. And I had never heard that yeah, before. Exactly. Yeah, he said, and I forget exactly where it is, but he said, um, and it's in Matthew, I'm pretty sure. You will not see, he was speaking to the Jewish people. You have to remember there were no Gentiles really involved at this point. You will not see me again until you say, Baruch Abab Hashem Adonai, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And that is quoting, oh gosh, forgive me. I can't remember which Psalm it is, Mm -hmm. but that is in a Psalm. I'll have to look that up for another time. Um, But this is this, and when you say that, yes, they will be moving into their fullness. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And you brought up another great point, which is so different in Christian theology that we can hasten the Geola, we can hasten the redemption. And this is clearly true from, you know, the Torah, from the pattern. Um, that's in the scriptures um, that we just don't see in Christianity, yet it is taught in the New Testament. It comes from um, 2 Peter 3, verses 10 through 12. Would I, should I read that? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. It says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Everybody knows that. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar. And the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things, here's the important part. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be living lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord. This, you know, as I said, is just not talked about in Christianity because we have been taught it's a set time. Mm-hmm. And 
this scripture has been ignored. But guess what? The concept is in the Jewish scriptures. It's in the Torah. It's in the prophets talk about it. Mm -hmm. In Christianity, we're taught that the final Mm -hmm. redemption will happen at a set time and it will be after a ton of calamity. And when I share the idea with people that they may hate hasten the the gay law Mm -hmm. and that these things don't have to happen, they're like, what? You know, but it says in Revelation that, you know, this will happen and there'll be, well, some people interpret different things. You know, a meteor is going to hit the earth and there has to be an antichrist and all of these things. Well, mm-hmm. that those things could happen, but they don't have to happen. And that may shock people. I know the first time I heard it, I was absolutely shocked and I went right mm-hmm. to my Bible and said, but it says this and it says this and it says that. And, you know, so my rabbi's like, hold on, Deborah. <laughs> <Let's>, <laughs> let me explain. <laughs> and I kind of laughed because, you know, I was kind of a maniac at times, you know, about what I, <laughs> what I believed. Yes, I it's what we've all been taught. taught. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so anyway, um, the, the first thing that I learned is that prophecy is not historical narrative. Mm. It's not factual narrative. There is a historical narrative in the Torah. We've, we've got all these stories. They really did happen. Mm-hmm. But prophecy, rather, is in what is written. It's, it's called poetic language. Mm. And it's highly symbolic. In other words, there are things there that are not to be taken literally, though it's possible some of those things will become literal. Mm-hmm. It is, you know, I can't say they won't happen. Let me explain the criteria. Um, so the, 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 the Torah and the prophets teach that the redemption, how the speed that it will come in, and whether or not it will be catastrophic is based on mm. our actions, our repentance. Mm-hmm. The job of the prophet was to warn people of calamity coming. Sometimes they encouraged, you know, of course, we, there's a mixture. But if they were doing wrong, the prophet came to warn them so they would turn around, so they would repent. So they would return right. to the things. And that God. wouldn't happen. Exactly, Stephanie. So if they chose to listen to the prophet and do what the prophet reminded them, then the calamity didn't happen. And we see that in Nineveh, right? We see that exactly. with Jonah. Yes, we see it in Nineveh. And then we see something interesting with King Hezekiah. Mm. And I believe this is in, um, I think it's in Second Kings. He was, is it second Kings? Hang on. Yeah. Second Kings 20. Um, Hezekiah sinned. He did something. He showed the things of the temple right, and all these Jewish things to write. Well, not to Nebuchadnezzar, oh. but to his emissary. Right. That's right. right. Mm-hmm. From Babylon. And, um, and so, um, oh, and actually, and I think to some Assyrians too, or that somebody from Assyria was there as well. Can't remember exactly, but, um, Hezekiah was told that he would die and not recover. 
and he wept and he repented and asked God for forgiveness and his death was postponed mm. until a later time. So, and you mentioned Nineveh, that's a perfect example um, of, you know, the people when they, Jonah gave the prophecy, of course, first we know the story, he ran away. He didn't want to give it to him because he didn't want them to repent. Mm -hmm. He's like, they've done all these terrible things to us. You know, we don't want them to repent. We want them to be destroyed. Well, of course he was disciplined for that and changed his mind later. Mm -hmm. You know, prophets are human too. <laughs> so, right. but anyway, he told the prophecy and they repented. And so it didn't happen. It happened many, many, many years later when they went back. Right. Because they all ways. changed. They all exactly. turned. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. So, um, Rabbi Itzhak Shapira, do I, do I have time to read something about the nature of prophecy? How are we doing on time? We only have a few minutes. So go ahead. Okay. All right. Okay. So I'll try to shorten this, but, um, I want to quote, uh, what he said. And he's quoting a very great sage. Um, from the Middle Ages, um, who actually was um, combating Christianity um, mm. a lot. So, but anyway, he said concerning a prophet's, and he's this um, this man um, is uh, Rabbi um, Moshe Ben Maimonides, or he's known oh. as in the acronym as Rambam, right. and he's explaining Jeremiah twenty eight seven to nine. So I encourage everyone to look up that prophecy. Uh, later, you know, um, but it says uh, concerning a prophet's prediction of calamities, even if his words do not come to pass, it is not considered contradictory to his prophecy. It should not be said, look, he spoke and it did not come to pass for the Holy One, blessed be he, that's a name for God, is long suffering, patient, abundant in goodness, and he changes his mind about evil if there is repentance. Mm. Furthermore, he continues, it is possible that they repented and were forgiven, or excuse me, it is possible that they repented and were forgiven, as did the inhabitants of Nineveh, which we've just mentioned, or that their fate was postponed, as was the case with Hezekiah, which we also mentioned. But if the prophet assured that good would come to pass, but the good promise did not come to pass, it is certain he is a false prophet mm. or every good thing that God decides upon, even if it's conditional, he does not change his mind. It will eventually come to pass. So this is in harmony with our verse in Jeremiah 28 verses seven and nine, which says, but just listen to this word, which I address to you. And to all the people, this is Jeremiah speaking, the prophets who lived before you and me, he's speaking to a false prophet here named Hananiah. And um, he, he, Jeremiah is prophesying that they're going into Babylon if they don't repent. And Hananiah is saying, no, God's going right. to break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, blah, blah, blah. So here's, here's Jeremiah. If my words do not come to pass, it would still not be evidence that I'm a false prophet. But if your words prophesying good do not come to pass, it will be proclaimed that you are a false prophet. For Jeremiah 28, 7 and 9 says this, just listen to this word, which I address to you and to all the people. 
The prophets who lived before you and me from ancient times prophesied war, disaster, and pestilence against many lands and great kingdoms. So if a prophet prophesies good fortune, then only when the word of that prophet comes true can it be known that the Lord really sent him. Wow. So these negative prophecies, even in Revelation, do not have to come true. It depends on you and I. And if we obey God and do what he says or not. Right. Wow. That's a lot. That's a lot. It is a lot. But it's and great. I know it's a heavy thing. Mm-hmm. It's a heavy thing. It's something probably most people haven't been taught. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. You go check it out. Right. Pray. See what, you know, the Jewish sages have to say about it. And also read Rabbi Shapira's book. Yeah. And there's another great book that he wrote and he mentions this. It's called The Rivka Remnant. And these are great books for Christians who are knowing something's not right mm-hmm. with Christianity, with the system, and they want more depth. You know, I have one man call it churchianity. <laughs> Churchianity. It's more than just Christianity. It's it's what our churches are becoming. Yeah. So anyway, but thank you. I appreciate your time. And can you give that scripture in, in Jeremiah one more time? It's Jeremiah 28 verses seven through nine. Okay. And I want to just also, I won't read it, but tell um, everybody should look up Jeremiah 6, 16, which Jeremiah was speaking to his own people, but it's applicable for us, especially today. Yes. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure having you on today, and and, uh, and I'm glad you had the time to to share with us. And I, I love learning from you, and I love listening to you, so I was excited. Thank you so much, Stephanie. I really am so humbled by what you just said and um, my heart is just to help people fall in love more deeply with God, fall in love more deeply with the Messiah Yeshua and fall more in love more deeply in love with one another, Mm -hmm. with people that's true that's that's my Mm -hmm. goal that's And that was Yeshua's goal, right? That's the same goal we're to have. So, amen. Well, thank you so much for having me again. You're welcome. It was a pleasure. Thank you for listening to Grafted Jewish Roots of Christianity. You can find me at www.graftedjewishroots.com. You can also find me on Twitter at graftedjewishrt.com. I appreciate you being with me, and I'll see you next time.